Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you that you love us despite us. I pray this morning that your spirit will fall upon us, that we will be convinced and convicted of your word, that we will hear the truth of your word and that we will listen with open hearts and open minds, with open spirits to receive what you have for us. As I've been praying for this message over and over again, Father, I pray that you'll convict us all I pray that you will speak deeply to our hearts and that we will listen to what you have for us. May this be a time not just of education, but of transformation. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. Today we are going to continue and and move back into our series in the book of 1 Peter. And as you know, this whole theme of 1 Peter, we've said, is hope in a pandemic. That Peter is the apostle of hope with this scripture, with this writing to the church. And it's a beautiful book. It's short but powerful. It's impactful and and very honest and difficult sometimes to really grasp and to live in. When I was hired by the elders two and a half years ago, they asked me one very specific thing. Will you preach the Bible? Will you preach the Bible when it's easy? Will you preach the Bible when it's hard? Will you preach the Bible when it's fun? Will you preach the Bible when it's not? Will you preach the Bible when it's uplifting? And will you preach the Bible when it's convicting? And I said, yes, I will do that. Today is one of those times when we turn to Scripture where it's difficult. It's not easy uh, because we're going to be talking about the hope of honor and submission. Submission, that's a really fun word, isn't it? It's a difficult word to grasp and really walk into. And I I pray that you will ask the Spirit of God to speak to you this morning and to to really uh, just take in what God is saying. Because it's hard. It's not an easy word. Well, as we dive into this idea of submission, we also have to talk about how the Bible can offend us. I remember a time when I was driving and I was offended. Maybe, how many of you have been offended while driving? Right, where you honk and you're like, get out of my way, what are you doing? Well, I remember this one time, I had just gotten done preaching four services at at, uh, Allegheny Center Alliance Church, and I I was driving home and I was taking my time. I wasn't driving too fast. Uh, On 65 in in Pittsburgh, it says to go 45, but everyone goes 60, and if you don't go 60, then you're going to get crashed and it's bad. So I was going around 55, right? And there was this car that was coming up behind me, and he was riding my tail, and he was honking, and he was flashing. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to keep driving 55. I'm not trying to make anyone mad, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to drive 55. That's what I feel like doing today. Well, when there was a secondary lane, the guy passes me, and he turns and looks at me and begins to stick his middle finger up at me. And then he recognizes me because he was a congregant that was just in the last service that I preached in. And so as he sticks his middle finger up, he looks at me, opens his mouth agape, and puts his hand down and his head back towards the road. Now, I was quite offended because he was doing all of these things to me, and then he was going to flick me off, uh, thought better of it. I did giggle, I have to be honest, because he recognized who I was, but, but I was. But I was offended in the moment as well. And when people don't treat us the way we believe we needed to be treated, 
we get offended. When people say things that we don't want to hear, we can get offended. And today we're talking about honor and submission. And the kingdom call to honor and submission often offends our Western individualism. Doesn't it? It often offends our Western individualism. I wrote this on Facebook this week uh, as I was writing this sermon. This, this came to me, and, uh, and so I want to share it with you as well. I wrote, if the Bible never offends us while we read it, we're not reading it right. Sometimes the Bible offends my sense of entitlement. Sometimes the Bible offends my sense of importance. Sometimes the Bible offends my idea of what my rights are. And sometimes the Bible offends me by telling me I can or cannot do what I want. Point number two is if the Bible never offends us, we're not reading it right. We're not reading it right because the Bible will offend us. The truth of the gospel will come and and convict us. And that kind of offends us when we're convicted because it's telling us we can't or we must be doing something that we're not doing. And we must stop doing something that we enjoy doing. It offends us sometimes. Not all the time. Many times we feel the love of God as we read the scriptures. But there are times where we are offended. And as believers, we are called to live for the kingdom. The kingdom of God first. And the Bible consistently tells us that. That we are to live at kingdom lives. That we are to push the kingdom of God as our main piece of our Christian walk. But this idea of of honor and submission, not only can it bring about transformation in our lives, but it can also bring hope. You and I, in our honoring and submitting as God calls us to, in all of our relationships, we can bring hope to this world that seems to be hopeless. So the question that we need to answer this morning is how can we find hope in honor and submission? That seems like an oxymoron, an oddity of life, but I trust me, the Bible says that we can find hope. And so we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, and then Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. So you can read on the screen with me or open your scriptures, whether you're online or here in person. The word of the Lord, 1 Peter 2, 12 through 17 says, Keep your conduct among the, among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Romans 13, 1-7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. 
For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to him who honor is owed. Now listen. Remember where Peter is writing. Remember to whom Peter is writing. Peter is writing to a scattered and persecuted church. A church that is persecuted by the governing authority, Nero. And here, he is telling the church, honor Nero where Nero can be honored. Follow the law where the law does not go against Scripture. Follow the mandates and and the things that you are being told by the governing authorities, governors that are over you that were sent by the emperor. You are to honor them and you are to follow what they are saying. Now this is hard to grasp because this church is being murdered by the authorities. They are being arrested and beaten by the authorities. If anyone had a right to go against what they were told to do, whether it was against God's law or not, they they should be fighting against this tyranny. But here Peter is saying, honor the authorities. We see that this brings hope. One commentator says, Peter's message is to trust the Lord. Live obediently, no matter what your circumstances, and to keep your hope fixed on God's ultimate promise of deliverance. I believe that Peter gives us four pathways in this passage, and it's only enforced by what Paul says in Romans. And he gives us four pathways to bring hope with honor and submission. And the first pathway that we can see is the, that pathway of glory. Point number three, we glorify Christ in our submission to government. We glorify Christ in our submission to government. Look at what he says in the beginning of verse 12. He says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. We are to live honorably, and that glorifies God. The word Peter uses in the Greek for be subject means to humbly put yourselves under submission. As believers, we are to humbly put ourselves under submission, to be subject to Two, and Paul uses the exact same Greek word that we are to be subject to those in authority. Another thing that he says that is quite stark and quite, uh, you know, just pointing to the reality of us glorying, glorifying Christ in our submission to government, he says, It is for the Lord's sake. And the Greek word sake is the Greek word dia, which means through in English. And he starts with honor in verse 12, and he ends with honor at the end of that passage that we read. 
He begins with that, and he, he, it's like a, a, a very purposeful thing, honor, honor. And then he sticks in there how we are to honor, why we are to honor, and the hope that our honor and submission brings. It is through our submission that we glorify the Lord. It is for the Lord's sake. That's a really heavy burden in some ways. That we are glorifying Christ when we obey. Even if there are laws that we hate or mandates that we despise or things that we feel go against our own Western belief in our rights. He says, if it does not go against Scripture, honor and submit. And in so doing, you glorify Christ. We glorify Christ. This submission brings hope to us. It glorifies Christ and shows the world there is a way of living hope-filled in a world that is hopeless. We see hopelessness all around us. We see it in the eyes of people. We see it in the media. We see it in even literary works that people write. We see a hopelessness that surrounds our culture. And many people have allowed that hopelessness to leak into the church. But when we walk in hope, when we see Christ as our only goal, when we look at Christ and Christ alone, and we obey what Scripture calls us to do, the world sees a hope that doesn't make much sense. The persecuted church was an oddity in a world because how could you follow the laws and mandates and honor Nero, the person who is burning your people alive, literally to light the way to his house? How could you honor him? They had the hope of Jesus Christ. They had the hope of his second coming. They had the hope of the resurrection. And they said, we know we know that this is not the final authority. We know that this is not the end. That this belief in Jesus, this walking towards Him, is the very beginning, the genesis of all things. Now, I guarantee you it wasn't easy. It's not always easy for us to follow the laws and the mandates of our governing authorities, especially when we realize that these people are not as smart as they should be to be in leadership. Because some people say and do dumb things and they make up dumb things and we can get frustrated and say, why isn't there someone better as our governor? Why isn't there someone better in that seat in the Senate? We can get frustrated and angry. If anyone had a right to be angry, it would have been the early church, but we see submission. Even when Peter and Paul and all of these men were arrested and beaten, they did not fight back. Jesus, when he was arrested and beaten, and they said, we're going to kill you, he went with hope to the cross. Peter and Paul went to their death with hope. Peter was so alive with this hope, he said, you know what? I know I'm going to die. I know it's going to be brutal. I know I'm going to be crucified, but please crucify me upside down. Make it even harder because I can't, I cannot bear the thought that I would die the same way as my Lord. Look at the book of the martyrs, the people who were beaten and killed for their faith. They prayed for their people that were murdering them. They prayed for the people that were beating them. They prayed for their enemies and said, God bless them. 
Jesus himself did that on the cross. I pray you'll forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. Warren Wearsby says, It is our responsibility to advertise God's virtues. This is especially true when it comes to our relationship to government and people in authority. Peter and Paul are telling us that we honor Christ when we obey the government. But we also see, point number four, that we dishonor Christ when we disobey the governing authorities. We dishonor Christ. That's another hard pill to swallow. But we see in verse 2 what Paul is saying is that we incur judgment upon ourselves when we disobey the governing authorities. When we neglect to honor and when we neglect to submit to the governing authorities, we are actually bringing dishonor to Christ's name. I believe that it was this thought of glorifying Jesus and dishonoring Jesus with, that, that really led the early church because their heart and their lives was to glorify Jesus. They were people filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you read John as we have and you listen to what we talked about from the book of John, the main goal of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Christ. That is why we need the Holy Spirit. Because when we walk in our flesh and we walk in our Western individualism, we look at some things and we say, I will never do that. It goes against everything I believe about myself and what I have as a right for me. But if you look at the scriptures, this is a hard thing for us in the Western world to capture. If you look at the scriptures about the early church and things that Jesus said about believers, he said that we are to die to ourselves. And you know what that means? That means in the kingdom of God, we have no rights. It's only the right that God gives us. And we are to die to ourselves. This is why scripture is hard. This is why the Bible offends us. Because we don't want to die to ourselves. We want everything for ourselves the way we want it. And when someone tells us we can't do something that we feel like we, we ought to not be told not to do, it gets offensive. We've been offended a lot in our culture and in our churches. And that sometimes is coming to a head in these days. Clowney said this, In this willingness to serve while suffering injustice, Christ himself is the great example for those who bear his name. To be Christian is to be like Christ. The reason why in the city of Antioch, the early church were called Christians, it was pagans who gave us our name, by the way. Pagans who gave us the name Christian. Why? Because the people were acting and living like Christ. That phrase actually means little Christ's. And it was because they were a church filled with the Holy Spirit, not filled with themselves. Listen, I hate sometimes when I come to scriptures that convince and convict me that I'm wrong. Because I want to go against it. I want to do what I want to do. But here it's very clear that we are to serve. Warren Wearsby, a great pastor, said a true Christian submits himself to authority because he is first of all submitted to Christ. He uses his freedom as a tool to build with and not as a weapon 
to fight with. That's another hard thing to grasp in our lives. We're called to serve. In this passage, like I said, I believe that Peter gives us four pathways to finding the hope of honor and submission. And I believe the second pathway is that of goodness. Point number five, the goodness of the believer shuts the mouth of the evil. The goodness of the believer shuts the mouth of the evil. Look at what Hillier says. In this context, ignorant talk means the making of groundless accusations against believers for those who are unaware of the spiritual motive for the way Christians behave. For to be foolish in biblical terms means to leave God out of account. But we are to put God into account. When we live hope-filled in a hopeless world, when we put Christ first, when we allow the Holy Spirit to wash us, to fill us, to use us, we're good because we have the goodness of Christ. And that goodness shuts the mouth of those who are evil. There is going to come a day, the Bible promises this as well, there's going to come a day when our church, our American and Western church, will be persecuted. There will be a day where, like Daniel, we will have to go against the laws of the land in order to go forward in the law of Christ. But if you're going to use Daniel as a moment, let's, let's use that with this idea of goodness shutting the mouth of the evil. Nebuchadnezzar made a rule that you have to eat sacrificed meat. Everyone has to eat it. If you're an advisor, you have to be a part of this, this dietary menu. Now, that went against the Jewish law. And so Daniel and a couple others, they broke the law, but in a way that was so honorable and so good, they went up to those in authority and said, this goes against our religion. This goes against what we believe. Can we do a test? Can we just test this? Uh, and they said, okay, let's, what, what's the test? Well, we are going to eat just fruits and vegetables while they eat meat. And after a certain amount of time, look at us and look at them. I guarantee you that we will be healthier and they will not be. We will be trim and they will be fat. They broke the law, but first they got permission. And they made a test and said, you know what, it's going to be better this way. Their goodness then shut the mouth of the evil because then everyone had to go on their diet. Now, I like meat, so I probably would have been a little upset. Like, come on, guys, love meat. But I didn't live under Jewish law. Their goodness shut the mouth of the evil. Also, you say, well, what about Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego? They broke the law. Well, they did so because worshiping Nebuchadnezzar was absolutely the worst form of idol worship. And they said, we just can't do it. We just cannot submit ourselves to that. And the punishment was already given where it said, you will die. They said, you know what? We are willing to die. We understand what this will do, but we're not willing to break the law of God. And then their goodness, what happened? They went into the fire. And they came out unscorched, unscathed, and it shut the mouth of the evil. Nebuchadnezzar said, surely your God is real. 
And when we walk in goodness, we shut the mouth of the evil. Warren Wearsby again, he says, when we do something in the will of God and as the servants of God, then we are doing it for the Lord's sake. God has willed that we silence the critics by doing good, not by opposing the authority. That our goodness, that our submission, that our honor will shut the mouth of the evil ones. Will shut the mouth of those who would seek to destroy the church. Are we walking in the goodness of the Holy Spirit? Are we listening to the truth of the Bible and living it out in our lives, in our society, in our Western individualism? Are we submitting to the goodness that God has for us to live? Because in a hopeless world, the hope of the gospel is desperately needed. In a hopeless world, the hope of the gospel is desperately needed. This world, I think we can all agree, those of you who are in person, those of you who are online or watching this later, I hope that we can all agree that the world is broken and it needs the restoration of Jesus. The hope of the gospel is the only thing that should drive our lives as believers. That is what should drive our lives. That is what should drive our harvest festivals. That is what should drive our our time at work. That is what should drive how we drive. (laughs) The hope of the gospel is needed in a hopeless world. And we're called to honor and submit to authority. Our hopes reside in the king of all kings. Now we're in a really rough season in American history. But I want to challenge us because we can focus so much on the wrong things. And I'm going to say something that might offend you or step on your toes. If we care more about who wins the election than we care about the lost, we have lost our focus. Our heart should be more for the lost than anything else. Does it matter? Absolutely. Do we know who we hope wins? Absolutely. But in the end, whoever becomes the governing authority, whoever becomes the president, we're to honor. And the scripture is clear that that was the will of God. That's another hard thing to swallow. How can that be? Honor those in authority. Nero... (laughs) was in authority, and that was God's will. Peter is telling them that God willed that. Now, God's will for you as a believer is to obey, honor, and submit where honor and submission should be done. The third pathway that we can find hope and submission is service. The believer's freedom is freedom to serve God and others, not ourselves. The believer's freedom is freedom to serve God and others, not ourselves. This is where Peter is taking the church and he's saying, listen, you can bring hope to a hopeless world by living for God and for others. That is countercultural. That is odd. That is weird. But doing that will bring hope. Now, this sounds so awkward to us. How can serving others 
in the midst of this terrible time that the early church was in, how can serving others bring hope? Well, many people feel hopeless because they feel alone. Many people feel hopeless because they feel beaten down. Many people feel hopeless because no one remembers them. But when the church serves others, Christians and non, we show the hope of the gospel. When we pray a blessing over our enemies, when we pray a blessing over those who frustrate us and anger us, and yes, even our governors and our president and our senate, in our Congress, when we pray a blessing over them, we are living in the will of God. We are serving God. We're called to hard things. You know, the, the truth of the gospel is not just you say a prayer and that's it. You say a prayer and that's the beginning. And then we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit to follow the hard path. You and I are called to a hard path. The scripture is not always fun. Barclay, in an old commentator, long past, he said, Christian freedom does not mean being free to do as we like. It means being free to do as we ought. Another commentator said, the highest calling of life is to use our liberty as servants of Jesus Christ. He's reminding the persecuted church, it's not about you. It's not. The gospel, the persecution, whether it, although it feels like it's about you, it's not. This hopeless world needs the hope of the gospel. And Jesus should be the one who we follow. Jesus should be our guide and our leader. How did Jesus live? Jesus lived in honor and submission. They were in an occupied time of life. Rome was over them. Rome was their authority as, as an emperor and as governors, and Pilate was one of those. But Jesus did not break the law. He might have broken some of the pharisaical laws that weren't actually in the Bible that people made up, but he never broke the law, even in his death. Pilate said, I see no wrong in him. He's never broken our laws. And that's why his wife convinced him to wash his hands of the death of Jesus because he knew that he was sending an innocent man to his death. We are to follow the example of Christ. We are to follow the example of scriptures. And you know what's crazy about the Bible is it really doesn't often talk about politics at all. Jesus didn't talk about politics except when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He didn't mention the authority over them. And that frustrated the Jews because they're like, no, if you're the Messiah, you're supposed to fight against this. You're supposed to go after it. You're supposed to slay Rome. You're supposed to free us and you're supposed to sit on the throne and be the king. He ignored all of that. All of it. And when we look at the scriptures that are written to the church, the times that the, the apostles mention politics is honor and submission. Man, that is hard. It's frustrating. But we must look at what the Scripture says. It offends us. And that leads me to 
what Clowney says. He said, Christians are called to serve others, to go the second mile, to suffer injustice without demanding their rights, knowing that they have an assured status before God and that he will vindicate them at last. Jesus promised to come again. Jesus promised it. And he said, all the wrongs that have been done to you, I will make right. Jesus is coming with a sword in his mouth. He is coming to judge the world. He is going to send those who deserve hell to hell. And he's going to lead us into glory. So what happens to us in this world isn't about us because we know that he will vindicate us in the end. That when he returns, all wrongs will be made right. And if we really live with the hope of heaven, if we really live with the hope of the gospel, what happens to us here will be frustrating and painful, but it's not the end. We don't have to go against it the way that we feel that we have to because Christ will vindicate us. He is the judge. In the end, we win. Because of him. Because of his return. And this is what Peter was calling the church to. Which leads me to the fourth pathway. And that pathway is the pathway of honor. Because honor marks the person of hope. The Greek word for honor is tamao. And it means to show high regard for. To honor and revere. Just think about the... the, This message to the persecuted church. You know Nero who's murdering you guys? Revere him. Honor him. Speak well of him. That's what you're to do. That's how you're called to live. That's how you're called to be. Because when you're in pagan land and they know that you're being murdered as a Christian and you say, you know what? I honor and revere the emperor. I honor him because he has the office. Because God calls me to honor him. If someone punches you in the face, you don't want to honor them. But even Peter says at the very end, honor all people. We're to honor everyone. We're not just to honor the emperor. We're to honor everyone. We're to give honor to one another. I'm to honor you with my words. I'm to honor you with how I serve you. That's why slander is such a dangerous thing. Gossip is such a dangerous thing because we're slipping out of honoring one another and we're walking in dishonor and we are displeasing the Lord when we do that. Listen, it's really easy to try and and dishonor someone. It's really easy for us to slip into dishonor. But we're called to honor one another. We're called to love the brotherhood. We are called to love one another. And in February, I know it's a little bit cheesy, but for that month, we are going to do a series on scary love, love that the Bible calls us to for one another. It is so radical, it gets a little scary on how we're called to love one another. We're called to love the brotherhood, and then we're called to fear God. As we obey him, we're saying, you know what? My dishonor of him makes him displeased, and when he's displeased, we're not safe. I want to walk in God and his ways. And one of the most convicting and convincing things to me is when Peter, or Paul rather, says in 13.2, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. That's a scary passage. But it's convicting and it's convincing. 
Honor marks the person of hope. Job says the statement is a comprehensive reference to all contexts in which Christians live, social, ecclesial, spiritual, and political. Christians must live well by giving each type of relationship its due. And Peter uses this tense in the Greek because we have to understand we can easily try in what's called eisegete passages where we look at scripture and we make it say what we want it to say. But we have to exegete passages. What does the culture say about this passage? What does it actually mean in the Greek? What is he really saying? Who is he really talking to? And then what does it mean for us today? How does it translate to our lives? Because even though it was written thousands of years ago, it all, every single breath of the scriptures has impact for us now. So we have to properly exegete what this says. And in the Greek, what Peter is saying is a continual word. He's using a Greek word that tells us this is to continue throughout our entire lives. We are to always be honoring. We are to always be loving. We are to always be in awe of God. And we are to always be honoring the emperor who God has put in his place over us on earth. That is super hard. That is offending my desire to do what I want to do. It is not an easy passage for us to live in. When we are always honoring, we are bringing the hope of the gospel. Again, as I said, if anyone had a, a, a reason or a right to not honor the king, to not honor the emperor, it was the early church. And if Nero was to be honored by believers, so too should the president. Now, we've seen a lot of dishonor of our current president. We've seen a lot of it, and it's disgusting how stupid and mean Christians look when they do that. How antithetical to the gospel when it happens. And the vitriol that flies in dishonor of our president is disgusting. It's absolutely revolting that believers would do that. But it happens. But it would be equally as revolting if we did that to our past president, which happened. If we'll do that to our future president, no matter who he may be. If the Bible calls the early church to honor Nero, how much more should we honor our president? That's a hard word. Because it's easy to judge and, and dishonor those in authority. Because they're always going to do things that we don't like. They're always going to say things that are off color. They're always going to lead us into things that we don't want to be led into. But we're still called to honor. We do not have to agree with our president. We do not have to agree with our governor. That's not what I'm saying. You're not always going to be like, Yay, I love everything they do. There's going to be times where we disagree. And we have to, as Daniel did in that moment, honorably disagree. He disagreed with the decree to eat meat and he honorably went to those in authority and said, this goes against my religion. Let's do a test. He didn't punch them in the face and say, we're going to do whatever we're going to do and we're going to do it because we're going to do it. No, he said, let's do a test. Let's honorably challenge this because I know God's way is better than your way. So let's do it. And that goodness shut the mouths of the evil. An honoring and submissive believer brings hope to a hopeless world. 
It really does. An honoring and submissive believer brings hope to a hopeless world because it doesn't make sense for us to honor. It doesn't make sense for us to submit. It doesn't make sense for us to serve others because that's not the world that we live in. That's not how the world lives. Excuse me. But we can and we ought to and we have the power to do so because we have the Holy Spirit. Amen? We have the Holy Spirit. and We can walk in the truth of the gospel. May we resolve today to walk the pathways of glory, goodness, service, and honor. In this season that is so tumultuous and so frustrating and seemingly so hopeless, we can walk in unity as the body of believers to walk in honor and submission and bring hope to a hopeless world. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And when people see us living countercultural, they really will ask questions. And we'll see in 1 Peter 3.15 the re- reality of that. If we honor Christ as Lord, we will walk in His ways. We will obey His words. May we walk in that. Again, I know because it offends me, that this passage may offend you. Usually when tough words happen or things that that are disagreed with, I get a Monday memo that says I disagreed with X, Y, Z. And I'm praying against that. I pray that the Holy Spirit convicts each and every one of us. Because this passage is important. And God set this up because I was not going to preach this message now. I was going to preach it the week before the, the missions week. But here, it's the week of election. And I believe that God put that together for a reason. May we glorify Christ with our goodness. May we not dishonor him with our insubmission. And may we live so good that people desire the Christ that we have. Let us pray.